Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Happy Monday, everybody. It is August 9th at the time of recording. I hope y'all are having an amazing, fan-flippin-tabulous day. We've got a great show planned for you today. We got some baseball talk in the National League least coming up later on in the show. We're going to save that till the back end because I want to jump right into our main topic of the day, which is... Fantasy football. As you may have guessed by the title of this show, it is our fantasy football draft rankings show. And last year I wanted to get into fantasy football a bit more, but I ended up drafting Michael Thomas over Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook in one of my fantasy leagues, or in my main fantasy league, actually. And it was quite disappointing. And Our buddy, the commish, ended up getting married, so congratulations to him. And there was a a bit of a fall-off in the fantasy football world. And so here we are back in August, and August is really the fantasy football time. I've always had a rule, at least for the past three or four years, that fantasy football talk doesn't start until the calendar turns to August. If you're doing fantasy football in July, you are doing it wrong. And... Usually July is a bit of a downtime in the sports world, but this time around, not so much uh, because we had the NBA finals and the return of the MLB all-star game and all that fun stuff going down in July. So fantasy football doesn't start till August, but since most people will be doing their drafts here within the next two weeks, today felt like a great day to squeeze in some fantasy football rankings. So here is the way that we went about this, or I went about this. So we went through each of the positions, about a hundred or so players, so about 10 rounds of a draft, and assigned some values to these players. And in the simplest form I could, which again, I don't consider myself a fantasy football expert, but again, I took Michael Thomas over... Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry, but I do have fantasy football championship pedigree and I've been doing fantasy football for years and I love this idea and the concept of fantasy football because it's really simple in nature, but really difficult to figure out. And so 
I assigned it three different categories here. Green for great value. Yellow for average value. You're probably getting what you picked. And red for a bad value pick. And because we have 100 or so players that we're going to get through, it's going to be quick analysis. So remember to come back to this when getting ready to do your fantasy draft. Um, Because, again, it's going to be kind of quick. We're going to spend a little bit of time on each player just so we can get through as many players as possible. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Let's start with the running back position. And the reason we start with the running back position is because it is the most important position in fantasy football. Also, the default rules that we're assuming are one quarterback leagues, uh, two running back, two wide receiver, one tight end, two flex, half PPR. This is what we're assuming the scoring totals are for this. So half PPR points per reception is what we are playing with as the default here. So these are the rankings by value and let's roll along. So first we have the number one pick in most drafts, Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is a yellow, probably a top four running back this year. Number one pick. If you get him, draft Christian McCaffrey. Number two, Dalvin Cook. Again, yellow. Dalvin Cook, top five running back, going to be a top five pick. Derrick Henry, number three. I would put that as a green because I would have thought Derrick Henry would be number two or number one. Um, The Titans offense might change around this year and Derrick Henry might not be a focal point of it as much because they want to throw the ball a bit more to their two-star wide receivers. But Derrick Henry was a 2,000-yard rusher last year, and I have no reason to believe that he can't do it again. So Derrick Henry at number three, I'd say slight green because I expect that he would be a top two running back. So Alvin Kamara, number four, put it as a yellow. Uh, Last year, he ended up being a huge focal point of the offense because Michael Thomas was gone. Michael Thomas is going to be gone again this year. So if you get a top four pick, make sure you draft one of those four running backs. Uh, Because there's not as many good running backs as there are good wide receivers. The running back position, apart from the people at the top, ends up getting a little more difficult to pin down. So if you can get one of those four running backs, you're in good position. Number five, Saquon Barkley. I'd put him in the red. Um, He ends up being the number five pick. He's a solid running back, but also might not play at the start of the season. Uh, Don't expect the Giants offense to be out of this world this year. And so... Maybe Saquon Barkley suffers as a result, but I would avoid Saquon Barkley. So put him as the red at pick number five. Number six, Nick Chubb. Uh, Chubb is a yellow for me. He's kind of that fringe tier of like, might be a top five running back, but uh, I would say that your value pick at six is to take Chubb. So yellow, that would be my bet. Um, even like yellowish green would be my pick for Nick Chubb. Uh, seven, Austin Eckler, yellow to red. Eckler might be a running back one, but the fact that you have to spend a first round pick to get him is a little bit unfortunate. Um, if you can get him in the second round, better value. Um, but that would obviously mean you'd have to get another player later in the round, like a Nick Chubb or a Travis Kelsey. Number eight, Jonathan Taylor. I put him as a red Jonathan Taylor. Being an RB1 is a bit of a risk. Uh, Obviously, he was a 1,000-yard back last year, and the Colts' offense 
is predicated on the running game and, you know, really solid O-line. Pretty much anyone can get a thousand yards in that offense. Um, but Jonathan Taylor is your first round pick, a little risky. Jonathan Taylor is your second round pick. Still, he would probably be your RB1. So I would put him as a red. Maybe you get unlucky with the value play of Jonathan Taylor, but maybe you walk away with Chubb and Taylor, and that's probably a best case scenario for your fantasy draft. Uh, Aaron Jones rounding out the top 10. I'd put him as a yellow. Aaron Jones might be part of a committee. I believe in AJ Dillon a bit more. So Aaron Jones, solid second round pick. Ezekiel Elliott, put him as a green. I think Ezekiel Elliott is great value in the middle to back end of the second round as an RB10. Um, I know one year I traded a bunch of picks to get Ezekiel Elliott as uh, my second running back, and I had Zeke, and I had, uh, I think I had another top running back that year. I forgot who it was, but um, I had two top running backs, and Ezekiel Elliott was like 11th in the league, which is fine, but not great. But if that's your RB2, you got a pretty solid chance, and he's got top five potential. So, like Ezekiel Elliott, Najee Harris, Green of all greens. This is a huge potential value pick. Now, he is a second to third round pick, so you know take that in stride. Um, but if you can walk away with Dalvin Cook and Najee Harris or Derrick Henry and Najee Harris, you are looking up. And especially if you can pull up like a Justin Jefferson in the, in the third round, you are looking great in your fantasy draft. So Najee Harris victory for sure you definitely want to draft Najee Harris in the second round even over guys like Stefan Diggs and AJ Brown just because of the high upside potential I used to say never draft rookies but now I have very much pivoted from that belief that you should never draft rookies um next up Antonio Gibson third round pick I would put that as a yellow um don't feel great about Antonio Gibson but he is running back 11 on this list, and that's uh, not terrible value for Antonio Gibson as a running back two, especially if you're going to draft a Travis Kelsey at the top. Um, I took Chris Carson around this spot last year, and it turned out to be pretty good. So uh, no need to fear with Antonio Gibson. As long as you get him in the third round, you should be all right as a running back two. Definitely a running back two. Very rarely has RB1 upside. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Joe Mixon, DeAndre Swift are the next three. I'd put all of them in the red tier. Uh, if you're going to spend a third or a fourth round pick on those guys, I would uh, think twice before making those moves. Other people are higher on DeAndre Swift than I am. He is going to be the full-time running back for the Lions, at least for now. Um, but I am not as high on DeAndre Swift as most people are. Plus, he's been battling groin injuries to start the season, so we'll see how it ends up going. But all three of those guys, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Joe Mixon, DeAndre Swift, red, in my opinion. J.K. Dobbins, yellow. Not sure what the Ravens' offense is going to look like. Dobbins is a fourth or a fifth round pick. Could be a solid flex play for you, but if you're using him as an RB2, okay, you better have a really good RB1. Uh, David Johnson, or sorry, David Montgomery, not David Johnson, David Montgomery of the Bears, green value play. Yes, get David Johnson, David Montgomery. He's RB20, is it 20? Let's see. He's RB16 
So get David Montgomery as a third running back. That could be a huge top 10 potential. Last year, he finished the last five games of the season with like 700 rushing yards, was the fourth leading rusher and one of the top fantasy RBs at the end of last year. Draft David Montgomery. I mean, my ideal team right now, I'm looking back, is like, if you get a top pick, you could get Derrick Henry, then Najee Harris, then Justin Jefferson, and then walk away with David Montgomery in the fourth round. That is a great looking team so far. Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders, I don't know what his value is, but be, proceed with caution because we don't know what the Eagles offense is going to look like under Nick Sirianni. And Sanders is a free agent at the end of the year, which makes him a prime candidate to be traded. So Sanders, I will just say, proceed at your own risk. Chris Carson, definite, definite green. Josh Jacobs, definite green. Even though they signed Kenyon Drake, I would say Josh Jacobs is a definite green in my opinion. So that puts us with Cam Akers, obviously gone for the season, so he's not on the list. Uh, Mike Davis. Solid backup option. Travis Etienne, green, upside potential. Go for that. Kareem Hunt, yellow, solid potential. And finally, Miles Gaskin, potential bench option that could end up working out well. Uh, Some other options that I like that are late, late in the draft. Damian Harris, great idea to draft. New England Patriots running back. Probably will end up the RB1 by the end of the year. Raheem Mostert obviously has high upside. Um, Chase Edmonds, James Robinson, those are guys that could have upside. Javante Williams with the Denver Broncos could be a, a play just to see if something good happens. Kenneth Gainwell, kind of the same situation. Those would be some of my best bets later on in your fantasy draft. Uh, make sure to save some of those names because those would be ones that I would take later on. Let's go to the wide receiver position real quick because the wide receiver position is very deep, very deep and very difficult to pin down this year. Um, You can wait on wide receivers, especially later on, but you always want to have a top five at any position. And last year, I'm so pissed that I didn't draft DK Metcalf in the fourth round when I had the chance. So You can find these value guys deep down in the draft, especially in the third round. Third round wide receivers are loaded this year. So here are the top of the draft. Tyreek Hill, number one wide receiver. I'd put him down as a yellow because I expect Tyreek Hill will be a top wide receiver. So he is a worthy investment, I would say, even though I invested in Michael Thomas and it came back to bite me in the butt last year as the number one wide receiver. I would invest in Tyree Kill. Devontae Adams, yellow, could be a top wide receiver. Stephon Diggs, yellow, could be a top receiver. A.J. Brown, yellow, could be a top receiver. All these are second-round guys, so as long as you take a running back in the first round, you can get away with taking one of these guys in the second round. A.J. Brown, I'd say wait till the third round, but A.J. Brown in the second round, late second round, I'm okay with. DeAndre Hopkins, Green, if he's the fifth wide receiver, I think DeAndre Hopkins will guarantee be a top five wide receiver. So I like DeAndre Hopkins. Justin Jefferson, yellow. He's wide receiver six. It's about where I would put Justin Jefferson. It's about wide receiver six. So if you get him in the third round, great value as a wide receiver one. Uh, If you want to invest heavy in the running back position, he could have high upside. So Justin Jefferson, 
definitely would take him. DK Metcalf, yellow. Calvin Ridley, yellow. Then we get into the depth guys. These are all guys where you could look at and say, yeah, these are very clearly top 10 wide receivers above that. The first seven that we listed, Hill, Adams, Diggs, Brown, Hopkins, Jefferson, Metcalf. You can't go wrong with any of those. Now we get into the depth pieces. We'll start with Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley, draft at your own risk. If it's the third round and he's your wide receiver one, you know, I mean, it's not great, but it could work out. He gets to be wide receiver one with the Falcons, along with Kyle Pitts coming in. So maybe it works out. Allen Robinson, he's always a sneaky top guy, but I would put him in the red tier. Julio Jones, I would put him in the red as a wide receiver one option because he's not even wide receiver one on his team. And only a super offense like the Chiefs are one where I could point to and say it's a good idea to take Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill as wide receiver ones or tight end ones. But if you're taking Kelsey that early, you're basically using him like a wide receiver one. So Julio Jones, red. Terry McLaurin, yellow. Keenan Allen, yellow. Both of those guys are, you know, they're okay pickups. CeeDee Lamb is actually the first Cowboy wide receiver, and I would put him as a green. Like, CeeDee Lamb has top 10 potential. Now, maybe he flames out this year, but I think CeeDee Lamb is someone I would take uh, in that draft with David Montgomery and maybe hope that he slides down to the fifth round. Maybe, just maybe. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are back-to-back in the fifth round. If you feel good about one of them, then go for it, but you're taking a risk of every week one of them getting isolated out of the offense. Obviously, the Bucks have a huge passing attack, but you play the risk of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin getting phased out of the offense each week. So proceed at your own caution with Evans and Godwin. Robert Woods, again, so many questions with the Rams offense, but I'd put Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, who are both right next to each other at good value plays. Um, same idea with the Bucks. You kind of proceed at your own risk with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Amari Cooper, similar situation with uh, C.D. Lamb. Proceed at your own risk. Amari Cooper can't even play right now, so to be determined there. Deontay Johnson, I'd put that as bad value. If he's going to be ahead of Chase Claypool, bad value. Adam Thielen, sixth round pick, could work out, but I'd put that as a yellow. Tyler Lockett, I'd put that there because, again, he's behind DK Metcalf. And a lot of these teams are the dual wide receivers, like the offenses that are going to put up big numbers, have two wide receivers in the top 20, whether it's Cup and Woods, Thielen Jefferson, uh, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool. Um, who else did we? Who are, Oh, Godwin Evans, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Jones and A.J. Brown. It's the, the offenses that are going to put up ridiculous numbers that have double wide receivers. So with that position, I'd say proceed with caution. But all of these people feel like, you know, there's a couple that I'd say are reds. But a lot of these are proceed at your own risk with taking those guys because the offenses are going to be big. It's just the split time thing that lowers their boom potential. And then some players deep down the list who I would say are value plays um Jarvis Landry in like the 13th round that's a great value play I don't know why he's so far down but Jarvis I mean Odell Beckham comes back but Jarvis Landry value play 
Same thing with Judy, Jerry Judy. That is a value play. Jamar Chase could be a nice little boom potential if the Bengals are going to score some touchdowns. Um, Same thing with T. Higgins, similar type situation. Uh, Could be a value play. Darnell Mooney could be a nice value play. I know he's got that cult following down there, so he could be a play. And both Jalen Waddell and Devontae Parker are proceed at your own risk, guys, but there's so many wide receivers you can get late in drafts. John Brown with the Raiders you can get. Uh, You can pick up Mecole Hardman. You can pick up LaVishka Chenault. Actually, LaVishka Chenault's not great value. You can pick up Corey Davis. You can pick up Elijah Moore. There's so many value plays you can pick up later on in drafts. Um, You can get Rondale Moore in like the 16th round. Like there's so many wide receiver value plays. So wait to draft your wide receiver bench. Terrence Marshall is a 16th round pick. Like wait, wait, wait to get those guys. Get Terrence Marshall later on in drafts for sure. Uh, Elijah Moore might be getting overvalued, but... I don't know enough about him. Rashad Bateman's another good one. Get Rashad Bateman, get Terrence Marshall, get guys like that for potential booms. Uh, and maybe Robbie Anderson too. There's so many wide receivers, so many wide receivers available. Let's go to the tight end position because the tight end position is quite unique this year. Cause always I've said you can wait on quarterbacks and you can wait on tight ends, but now that's kind of shifted because there just aren't, as many great tight ends. So if you're going to draft Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or Darren Waller as a wide receiver one or a wide receiver two, basically be my guest. I do not have objections to those decisions. Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, TJ Hawkinson. I would kind of avoid those guys because yes, they might be top end tight ends, but their value is not great as like wide receiver threes. So I would say proceed with caution. I've drafted Mark Andrews in past years. So I'd say proceed with caution there. The next group of guys is kind of like, you got to find the value. Who's going to be a top 10 guy. Cause there's Hawk. There's um after Hawkinson, it's Goddard. It's Noah Fant, Irv Smith with the Vikings. I like that pick. That's a green Irv Smith is a green value guy. Um, Gronk, Bob Tanyan, Jonu Smith, Logan Thomas. These are guys that you got to just kind of bank on the value plays and hope that one of them ends up being a top 10 guy, or you could just end up signing someone from your uh, free agent class in your league. Um, Because once you get down there, you get into the Jared Cooks, but tight ends are, are interesting. So Travis Kelsey as a second round pick or a late first, because you'd you'd probably have the back-to-back picks in a 10-team league, you can get away with it. But again, you're playing for the guarantee of a number one tight end. And I think Kelsey's going to be the number one tight end, but he could easily not be. It's probably more likely he's not the number one tight end. So it's a risky, risky proposition drafting tight ends early, but... I think the guarantee of a number one tight end like a wide receiver one is a victory if you end up walking away with Travis Kelsey. The tight end position has gotten devalued over the years, which means all of a sudden there is a value play in fantasy football at the tight end position. Kittle and Waller, you can debate, but those guys are certainly well ahead of Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts and TJ Hawkinson. 
who are the next tier of guys before getting into your Goddards, your Irv Smiths, and your Bob Tanyans, who can be low-end tight-end guys, and you can get them for value. That's the big victory there, is you can get value plays at the tight-end position. So even myself, I'm contemplating whether or not Kittle or Waller are wise investments, especially Kittle in the third round. That could be a nice little pickup when, as I mentioned before, wide receivers are super duper deep this year. You can pick up tons of wide receivers later on. They might not be top 10 guys, but they can be serviceable starters if you're looking for places to find value. Wide receiver position is probably the place to do that this year. All right, let's move on over to the quarterbacks. So Mahomes and Josh Allen are the guys that are right at the top of their lists. And those are obviously the two super quarterbacks who produced a ton of numbers last year. And some people got burned by drafting Lamar Jackson last year, which was a you know rough value pick. But this is the thing I've always said with quarterbacks is that you can find value later on in drafts. And every year I keep saying this is the year I'm going to draft Patrick Mahomes and every year I pass on it. But what's interesting about the quarterback position is that it scores the most points of any position. So if you get a good one, then all of a sudden you feel a little bit more secure. And this is what's happened to me in past years is that I've gotten great ones later on in drafts. For example, last round of the 2016 draft, it's the greatest pick I've ever made. Last round of the draft, I took Matt Ryan. Last year, last round, took Dak Prescott, who was the number one quarterback for a while until he broke his leg. But he was the number one fantasy quarterback last year. And I got me some Dak Prescott. And I've gotten good quarterbacks. I got Alex Smith the year that the Chiefs um, went 8-0 to start the season, and he was one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, which was a value pick, but I walked away with Alex Smith. So I found value later on in drafts at the quarterback position. It just doesn't always happen. And this year is going to be tough because a lot of quarterbacks get taken earlier in drafts. Like you can wait. Uh, well, first of all, the Deshaun Watson one is always weird because you can wait to get Deshaun Watson, but it's just going to be a weird situation. Same thing with like Justin Fields and Trey Lance and any of those rookies. If you want to bank on drafting one of them deep in your bench, it's a, a value play potentially. But the quarterback position this year is Mahomes and Allen at the top. And every year I say you can take Mahomes. I'm not going to say don't do it this year. In past years, I've said, do not invest early in a quarterback. But the one thing that you probably shouldn't do is invest in that middle tier. Now, Lamar Jackson, I think, is now being undervalued as quarterback four. Like, I think Lamar Jackson could be top quarterback potential this year. But I don't know if I would have the cojones to pick him in the fourth round. Maybe in the fifth round. Maybe if he fell to the sixth round. If I got my David Montgomery tandem Maybe then I would take Lamar Jackson, um, but not before Kyler Murray. Definitely not before Kyler Murray. So Kyler Murray would be a red. He's quarterback three on the list I see. That's a red. Dak Prescott, that's a yellow red because then you're banking on Dak. You're investing in Dak being a top five quarterback, and I don't think there's a guarantee that even in that offense, Dak is going to immediately be a top five quarterback. Justin Herbert, I'd put that as a red. Seems a little too high for him. 
Russell Wilson, I'd put him in the yellow as like quarterback eight seems about or quarterback seven. It's where I'd put Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, red. Don't take Tom Brady. Don't be the dude who takes Tom Brady in your fantasy league. Um, Aaron Rodgers is behind Tom Brady. Take Aaron Rodgers before you take Tom Brady. Just trust me on that. Stafford green, excellent value. I think I might take Stafford in one of my leagues um, and, and watch that one blow up with the new Rams offense. I think I would take Stafford for sure. Um, Joey Burrow, red, not great value. Tannehill, I don't know. Tannehill's difficult because I don't know what the Titans offense is going to look like next year. So Tannehill is really tough. Tannehill, Tannehill was one I was going back and forth on between the yellow and the green. Because Tannehill, you could get him as a backup quarterback and then have high boom potential. Same thing with Deshaun Watson. Like Deshaun Watson could have high boom potential if he plays, but you get him late in the draft and then maybe draft another quarterback. Maybe draft three quarterbacks if you're not going to take Mahomes or Allen. If you're going to take like Russell Wilson and Ryan Tannehill and Trey Lance, that could be an option there. So proceed with caution there for, or if you're going to take Stafford, that's another option. But remember you can wait on the wide receivers this year. Maybe you get a good one in there. Draft lots of wide receivers. That's another option or draft running backs and draft wide receivers. That would be the go-to move. Um, but then you get further down value plays like Baker Mayfield could be a good value play late in your draft. Trey Lance, as I mentioned before, could be an awesome value play. Uh, don't draft Big Ben. Don't draft Big Ben under any circumstances. Trevor Lawrence is a proceed at your own risk guy because rookie quarterbacks are always tough to figure out. Um, same thing with Zach Wilson. Proceed with caution. Proceed at your own risk with some of those guys. Because Justin Herbert, like obviously Justin Herbert, played great last year. So proceed at your own risk. And with kickers, it's the same thing I say every year. Just draft Justin Tucker. Invest the early pick on Justin Tucker. I do it every year. You should do it. Just draft Justin Tucker early on in your draft. It's worth it. Just take Justin Tucker. Even though Young Hui Koo is ahead of him this year, Justin Tucker used to always be number one on the list. Just draft Justin Tucker. Don't be cheap. Just draft Justin Tucker. It's worth it. It's worth it later on in your draft. You don't want to end up with a Matt Gay or a Jason Myers, or a Mason Crosby. Just pick Justin Tucker. Always pick Justin Tucker. That's the answer. In your fantasy drafts, always, always, always draft Justin Tucker at the kicker position. Um, and play for value at the wide receiver position. That's another big key to this year's draft. If you look for value at the wide receiver position, because there's a lot of guys that are going to fall later on in the draft that could end up being boom guys and people who everyone in your league is going to pass on and ends up going into free agency. So make sure to take as many shots at the board at the wide receiver position, the tight end position. A lot of guys are still going to be available. So if you don't get one of the top end tight ends, or if you do get one of the top end tight ends, you don't need to worry about picking another tight end. Just invest in wide receivers and invest in a bunch of them late in the draft. And with running backs, you know, there's there's a lot of options that could be boom guys, but you might be a little more disappointed because the key with running backs, make sure you get one of the good ones. That's the biggest key to winning your championship. Make sure you get one of the top five ones 
and you've got a much better chance like Alvin Kamara going for six touchdowns in a championship game. Make sure you get a top five pick. If not, get a little creative. Make sure you get a top end guy. That's when you could go for Travis Kelsey is make sure you get someone who's consistently at the top of their position group. And that might just be your key to victory in fantasy football here in 2021. At least do better than I did last year, which was seventh place in my league. I think the year before I finished like fifth place too. So the year before that, I won the championship though. Year before that, won the championship with magical Doug Baldwin. His last catch as a Seattle Seahawk. So falling down catch to win by 0.3 points in my fantasy league. So shout out to magical Doug Baldwin. And if you play defense, it's a crapshoot anyways. I like to just go week to week with my defenses. It's a total crapshoot anyways. But it helps you learn a little bit more about figuring out the position because it's kind of random. So you can get away with going week to week with your defense or finding a good one on the waiver wire. Fantasy football 2021. Y'all know what that music means. It's time to talk some baseball. Shout out to my man Rob Stone, San Diego 619, and his Padres anthem all nine innings that we use to talk about baseball because, one, the song is a banger, and two, the Padres have a rap anthem, and we have a great team. Even if that team's been playing 500 baseball for the last six weeks and Fernando Tatis Jr. has a separated shoulder, but he's still going to win MVP with the separated shoulder. But we've got a rap anthem and we use it when we want to talk some baseball because something really interesting happened over the weekend in Major League Baseball and not just the Boston Red Sox falling back down to earth like I had been preaching for months that they would do. They're now just one game ahead of Oakland for that last uh, wild card spot and uh, just three games ahead of the Yankees from falling out of the playoffs. Who, by the way, of course, the Yankees turned things around with their keg softball team that's just all six foot five mashers um, with Anthony Rizzo, Joey Gallo, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Hicks, Aaron Judge. Like they're just all six foot five mashers on the the Yankees keg softball team. And of course, when I said I didn't think they could come back, all of a sudden they're now two games out of the playoffs. But that's not what I wanted to talk about. What I wanted to talk about is going on in the National League East. Or as they've been nicknamed this year, the National League Least. Because it is far and wide the worst division in professional baseball. But lo and behold... 
The Philadelphia Phillies have gone on a nice little eight-game win streak here. The team that now has the longest playoff drought in all of the National League, only behind the Mariners in all of baseball at this point. The Philadelphia Phillies find themselves in first place, now with a positive run differential for the first time all season after this weekend series against the best team you could pull a sweep against, the New York Mets. Not just for the Phillies' sake, but for content's sake. Because laughing at the New York Mets and Steve Cohen, who always tweets out things that end up getting featured on Freezing Cold Takes and MLB Trash Talkers, the Mets are the gift that keeps on giving. When we, The first episode that we ever did on the Take It Easy podcast, this was June of 2019, it was six minutes, really crappily produced, it took like a hundred takes to get it just right, was about the New York Mets. And we created this thing called the Dumpster Firearchy, where every time the Mets had something catastrophically go wrong, we could rank it on the 1 to 10 of the Dumpster Firearchy. Um, number 10, I think, was them their minor league team setting literally a fire outside a dumpster fire outside the stadium where there was literally a fire in the dumpster outside of the stadium um mr met giving the middle finger is up there bobby valentine fake mustache is up there um the robinson cano trade the the sell the team then not being able to sell the team uh matt harvey just everything about matt harvey is on the dumpster hierarchy, but it's always fun for content's sake to make fun of the Mets. And they made some really good moves that honestly baffled me because I thought the Mets would be better this year. Um, and what's remarkable about the Mets, first and foremost, is Jacob deGrom. Because in a sport like Major League Baseball, where one, if you're a great pitcher, you only contribute one every five games, two, a sport where... I, ca I cannot understand why Mike Trout doesn't make the Angels better. Like, I, ju I just can't understand why they're terrible every single year. I can explain it away after the fact about pitching and never having a strong bullpen, even though Rafael Iglesias was reliever of the month. And the fact that Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, and Anthony Rendon, who, by the way, Anthony Rendon is gone for the season, and Justin Upton... The fact that that team can't even get close to the playoffs, I cannot explain it. I simply cannot explain it. Um, I can only try and rationalize it away afterwards. So in that sport where Mike Trout can't get a whiff of the playoffs, and three, a sport where the best teams in the history of the sport only win two out of every three games, and the worst teams ever still win one out of every three games, which would be the NBA equivalent of having... The best teams ever win 54 games, and the worst teams ever only win 27 games, which is not the case in basketball, but in baseball, such is the case over large sample sizes. In that sport specifically, I don't understand how you can point a direct line between Jacob deGrom, the ace starting pitcher, best pitcher of our lifetime, or at least my lifetime, my memorable lifetime, the 2010s, whatever you want to call it, how Jacob deGrom, when pitching, leads the Mets to a first-place team, even with Francisco Lindor hitting 217 and then getting hurt for a month and then trading for Javi Baez to play shortstop as a temporary stopgap. 
I don't understand how you can point to them being in first place, and as soon as Jacob deGrom goes out, run differential plummets, record plummets, and all of a sudden the Mets find themselves two and a half games out of the playoffs, falling rapidly with no sight of DeGrom like DeGrom coming back. DeGrom is not going to be back until September. Like, no sign of DeGrom returning. And as soon as he goes out, they start bottoming out. And I don't understand how in that sport where one single player, one single position player can barely even impact the team. I don't understand how Jacob DeGrom impacts the Mets that much, only pitching one out of every five days. It's it's quite remarkable how good Jacob DeGrom is and how much he impacts winning. It's so, so strange. And so the Mets find themselves free-falling in the standings, and the Phillies now jump to first place with an eight-game win streak, which, by the way, you know that, and get ready, if you're playing the drinking game at home, get ready to pour yourself a drink, because those four words are coming where you have to take a shot every time I say them. But an eight-game win streak for the Phillies is obviously something that sets up regression to the mean, and that sets up very well for the Atlanta Braves, who have the best run differential in the division, and for about two months were the only team that had a positive run differential in the division, other than like occasionally the Miami Marlins. But... It does set up well for the Atlanta Braves to end up jumping the Philadelphia Phillies late in the season. Now, regardless of who gets it, they'll finish with the the third seed and have to go on the road to face probably the Brewers. Maybe it ends up being the Giants or the Dodgers, but probably the Brewers. But still, a, a playoff division title is huge for any of those franchises. For the Braves, it's desperately trying to keep your window open as... Ronald Acuna Jr. has an extended leave of absence with surgery, which we talked about back in July, about how it basically ends a dynasty for the Braves. And if you're the Phillies, this is your prime winning window. And if you're the Mets, you just invested uh, most of your young capital. You traded Ahmed Rosario and uh, another guy, I forgot his name now. He's a shortstop slash outfielder. He was a top prospect, had just gotten to the majors traded him, you traded your number five prospect for a temporary filler of Javi Baez. Like, you're giving up a lot to to inflate the payroll and put together a team that can maybe win 85 to 90 games. Like, this is a big year for all of those teams, just in terms of what the future is going to hold. We know that the Marlins suck, we know the Nationals are, are rebuilding, So for these teams, it's about separating from each other as it feels like, you know, the Mets window might be opening. But it looks like the Braves and Phillies windows are closing altogether. And Bryce Harper has been playing like an an MVP level over this win streak and over this last month to help get the Phillies back in position. And it's been a huge success for them. And, you know, with um, the the three main people for MVP in the National League were Tatis, Ronald Acuna, and Jacob deGrom. And now that all three of them are hurt, you're looking at like just a, a weird NL MVP where, you, you know, if Tatis could get it, <laughs> they'd still probably give it to him. But I'd like to throw my hat in the ring for Zach Wheeler, not just winning the Cy Young, but Zach Wheeler getting some, some MVP nods, given that he has the highest war in baseball outside of Fernando, Ta- or highest war in the National League outside of Fernando Tatis Jr. So I'd like to throw my hat in the ring for Zach Wheeler, 
who threw another shutout against the Mets on Sunday to, to win Cy Young and or MVP. Like, one of the two I'm fine with, but I'd like to throw my hat in the ring for him to win MVP straight up if Fernando Tatis doesn't return this season, which he's supposed to, but we're just not sure yet. So Tatis, 100% MVP. I've got his jersey on in my closet um, I am 100% on the Fernando Tatis hype train. You know what? Manny Machado deserves some love, too, for the MVP. 21 homers, fourth in the NL in war. Throw some love out to Manny Machado if we're just going to give a neutered MVP because Acuna got hurt and DeGrom got hurt and Tatis got hurt. And those three were running away with an MVP race in the National League. We're still going to have that contest between Wheeler or Machado or whoever ends up getting it but what's interesting about the Phillies is that you look at the roster and I thought they would be better across the last couple years like the fact they didn't make the playoffs last year with an eight-team field is, is a chronic embarrassment to that franchise and you know Bryce Harper has gotten the reputation of not being conducive to winning but again this is the weird part about baseball where one player doesn't swing things one way or the other even when Bryce Harper, you know, finishes fifth in the MVP last year and is right up there in the MVP race or making a late charge in the MVP race this year. Um, it's it's really weird to figure out how one player makes an impact. And Gene Segura has been awesome for them. Um, Andrew McCutcheon's in the last year of his deal. JT Realmuto is a starter in the All-Star game. Like, he's the best catcher in baseball. And even though they had to give up Sixto Sanchez to get him, who looks like he's going to be a stud for the Miami Marlins, um, you could still point to that as a victory for the Phillies, even if they haven't, you know, made the playoffs yet. Like, getting JT Realmuto uh, is a victory for the Phillies. And, you know, they've started solidifying that bullpen that used to be the worst bullpen in the history of baseball for a short period of time. Uh, I think 2019 was the year that they had, at one point, the second worst ERA in the history of baseball among a bullpen. And slowly but steadily, they started building that up a little. And the Phillies are in first place. And that's something that I did not expect. An eight-game win streak will do that. And I'm not going to jump the gun here. Because remember, and get ready to grab that little bottle again, however and whenever it is you're listening... Regression to the mean is eminent for Philadelphia, but this record for the Phillies more reflects what I thought they would be during the season. Less so for the Mets, because the Mets are now one game above 500. Um, but the, the runs that the Phillies and the Reds are on, uh, or the Reds, Reds are a little more surprising, but this is more what I thought the Phillies would be. I didn't think it'd be good enough to get to the playoffs. I thought the Braves would be better. I thought the Mets would be around the same record, but... I, I did think the Phillies were due for some sort of improvement because they've had a really talented team this year. And yes, their offense is very Bryce Harper heavy, but that pitching staff with led by Zach Wheeler, who should be the Cy Young in the National League, has been excellent. And it would be a joy to watch the Phillies play a playoff series, at least more so than the Mets, because it's always fun to laugh at the Mets and content never stops with the Mets even when they're winning they're still losing because you know Pete Alonzo is making the minimum and he's leading the Mets basically by himself and Francisco Lindor is struggling and all of that stuff that we find it funny with the Mets and the fact that they get to play the Marlins and the Nationals 18 and thir well, 36 times a year that 36 of your games are against those terrible teams and even with that you still can't propel yourself up against you know, the, the crappy Pirates or the crappy 
Cubs, I guess the Cubs suck now, or the Rockies or the Diamondbacks or whatever it is. Like the fact that no one in that division can separate themselves is kind of laugh out loud funny. Um, And the fact that the Mets are now falling just makes for great content. But more so than the Mets, I want to praise the Philadelphia Phillies for finally, finally progressing to the mean, regressing to the mean, and making a damn interesting race in the National League East. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, wired up on Sunday. If you want to just hear me talk about childhood memories and emotions and stuff like that, check out Sunday's episode of Wired Up. I wasn't planning to do Wired Up, just wanted to turn on the microphones and talk on a Saturday night and share that on this morning. So, or, well, I guess Sunday morning, but whatever. I appreciate each and every one of you who stops in and continues to support the show. We're going to have some fun guests coming up this week. Super excited. A bunch of our friends are coming back here as football season kicks into high gear. And until we talk again, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.